Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of No Meat Athlete Radio. I'm Matt Frazier, joined by Doug Hay, and today we've got a really good clip from Rich Roll. I'm really excited about this. Me too. Rich, uh, as as everyone knows, is an ultra-endurance athlete, the author of Finding Ultra, host of a very cool and informative podcast called The Rich Roll Podcast, and he actually was our guest in the Academy uh, this month, or I should say is the guest in, our, in the Academy this month. And uh, last night we actually did a Q&A with Rich, which was really fun. Yeah, it was really neat to sit down uh, virtually, I guess, with him and, and you and, and all the Academy members were asking good questions. That was, that was a neat little chat. Yeah, it was. And I was glad that, that we kept it going. And it, uh, people, didn't, people were polite enough not to ask a billion questions <laughs> and like, keep him all night. So we got, got out of there after an hour, which was good for him, I think. Uh, but extremely gracious of him to, to take that time, you know, the time to do that for our Academy group. Um, because you know he he's doing a bunch of publicity things now because he's got a new book coming out, The Plant Power Way, and uh, you know I think it was I mean to sit down with with however many people showed up I don't know if it was twenty five or thirty people showed up on the thing last night uh, is is not you know the the way to sell books that's not <laughs> the strategy that you do is put an hour of time talking to thirty people <laughs> um, so it was just very cool that he did that yeah but hopefully we can help him sell some books here because I do want to share. Uh, a significant portion of his academy seminar in this episode and the next one. And uh, it's it's what Rich and I did this. We sat down in Marshall, Texas. We were both there. So we sat down live uh, on his podcast setup. So his quality is good. <laughs> and recorded the seminar for the academy. And we've been talking about the academy for the past week here on the podcast. Uh, it's about a year old now. It's our our premium program where every single month, for the past year, we've sat down with uh, a guest and really do- dove deep into a topic. Uh, could be about time, could be about uh, diet. Some of them have been about running, all different things. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the interview. Some of what's what's uh, we've we've covered so far this year. But and then after those are done, a couple weeks later, we'll do a Q and A with the guest. So anyway, we're getting ready to relaunch that. I don't want to get into too many details here because really this is about Rich's thing and his book. Uh, which I really do want to try to help uh, spread the word about because it comes out on April 28th, I believe. It's called The Plant Power Way, and you can find out all the info about it on his website, richroll.com. And if you want to go right to it, I think it's richroll.com slash three words, the plant power way, separated by dashes. So that's there. I had a chance to look at the book, uh, the digital copy at least, and I can say that it is really nice looking book. I mean, it's like a full color Every every recipe, I think, or most every recipe has a, a photo accompanying it. It's lots and lots of really high energy food, like the type of food that I think they're they're kind of billing this as the book that will show people how easy it is to live this way, and, and not just this way meaning vegan, but uh, vegan and eating really healthy vegan food. So how how simple it is. But if you look at the food, I mean, it's it's not like what I think of when I think of simple food. Like for me, if I'm making a simple food. It's it's you know tacos or something just like <laughs> lame that I put on the table for my kids that is is still healthy but that they'll eat. Um, this is definitely fancier food 
in in a good way but but like and they're still doing it simply and quick so i think that's fantastic and uh it just looked like an amazing book so um please check it out it's a recipe book right it's not anything like finding ultra right nothing like that yeah okay and it's cool i mean i think what rich did with finding the ultra was tell his story and get everyone intrigued and this is now uh his answer to the questions he's been getting since then which is like what do you eat and how, how would you do this and there are some meal plans and different things like that so very very cool package inside this book uh, again, it's called The Plant Power Way. comes out on April 28th, but he's got uh, really good uh, pre-sale bonuses and stuff like that set up for if you, anyone who orders before then. So anyway, all that's at his, at his website, richroll.com. And uh, if there's nothing left to say, we will roll the interview. Let's get to it. Hey, No Media Athlete Academy members, this is Matt Frazier, back with another special seminar, this one with uh, a guest I've been trying to catch up with since, really since we launched the No Media Athlete Academy, and I had to fly all the way to East Texas to, to do it. So this is where I hang out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is Ritual's secret haunt. So anyway, uh, Rich, thank you so much for being on here. I know you've got the, the new book coming out, so I'm excited to talk about that, and then, uh, you know, just get into to how... how people can can use what you've got in there to to take their their lifestyle to the next level the the plant-based plant power way lifestyle Mm -hmm. uh high energy balance i'm gonna get into all that stuff yeah cool man well it's a pleasure to talk to you the last time we did this was also in a hotel room in dc i think (laughs) after the dc veg fest so uh it's been a pleasure hanging out with you all weekend at this event it has it's been a great event all right so um before we get started tell us about the book because i I think that's a good jumping off point Mm -hmm. So the book is called The Plant Power Way, uh, and at its core, it's a cookbook. It's a plant-based cookbook. It's got about 120-plus delicious, hearty, easy-to-prepare plant-based recipes. Uh, But on top of that, um, it's really a lifestyle guide. I would say you know half of the content is really oriented around resources and tips and tools and strategies to help people – um, make the transition to a more plant-focused or plant-centric way of living. And I think, you know, it's been an interesting journey since Finding Ultra came out. And that book, you know, was essentially a memoir. It told my story and it had some nutritional information in the appendices and kind of interwoven throughout the narrative, but it didn't have recipes. Uh, and so the question is, all right, well, I'm, 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 I'm on board, you know, I'm motivated, I get it, like I want to do it. So what do I eat? So it was the logical kind of next book to put together. Right. Yeah. And I've gotten the sense that people uh, are, are dying to get that information from you. So that's, uh, that's pretty much what I want to do today in the mm-hmm. seminar. Just talk about in general, the lifestyle, how we can um, get to the next level. Because you mentioned to me that you thought the book is, you know, it shows people how to, how to, that it's easy to become vegan, that you could be mm-hmm. vegan and do this. But uh, I consider myself a pretty healthy eating vegan. And as I was leaving through the book, uh, which, by the way, beautiful. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, thank you. And, and I was just couldn't believe how much stuff is packed into it as far as recipes and, and the, the what was it the, the herbivore and the different like kind of approaches to. Yeah, we you know? have three kind of programs or plans. So every recipe is key coded according to one of three protocols, which you don't have to do. But for people that have a specific agenda going into the book, like. I want to lose weight or, you know, I'm in a, I'm in really bad shape and I want to completely transform or for people like probably a lot of your listeners who are more performance inclined and are looking to make sure that they're fueling as an athlete, we have a program for that. Right. So that, as I was going through it, I was, 
you know, I, I was expecting it to be sort of for someone who was going to become vegan, but I, mm-hmm. I was thinking, hey, you know, I could stand to, to do a lot of this stuff. Uh, it's just, it's a lot of great information there. So I figured for Academy members and anyone listening to this, um, that, that we can just kind of, you know, take a tour of, of your, uh, your approach to, to this lifestyle and, mm-hmm. uh, and how you do it. And I think, you know, we can talk about certain elements that are, that are in the book and maybe some others that aren't. So you ready? Yeah, cool. All right. Let's do it. Cool. So, so first question um, that, that came up as I was looking through it was um, it's, it's apparent that there's a lot of effort put into um, not just the book but, but the lifestyle and, and these recipes and there's all kinds of nut milks and things that I don't typically find the time to make. Mm-hmm. So what I was wondering is, is someone getting started or, or is already vegan or vegetarian, wants to go to the next level, where's the time going to come from? Because that's kind of the foundational thing. Um, obviously you've got to make the time a priority. That's, I'm not asking right. how do you, how do you do it without spending any time, but, uh, do you have any, just sort of time tips and I don't mean cooking fast, but just freeing, how do you make it a priority? How do you find the time for that? Uh, I think that's a great question. I think that's one of the main, you know, predominant arguments that you get. Like I'm interested in this, but I just don't have the time to invest in this. And, and if you go online or you kind of poke around, you see a lot of videos of people that spend their entire Sunday, you know, preparing their meals for the week and kind of prepackaging them and freezing them or putting them in the fridge. And that's just not how, I mean, I think that's great. Uh, but that's not how our family functions. You know, I've got four kids, you know, my wife and I, and this is really, you know, her book because she's the genius in the kitchen who really helped cultivate these recipes over the last eight years of our journey. Um, we're busy. You know, my wife, when she sits down to prepare a meal, she's thinking, all right, Rich is out training. I've got to make something, uh, come up with something creative and interesting and delicious and nutritious that's going to satisfy him, but also something that my kids are going to eat. And I'm not spending all day in the kitchen because I've got a million things I'm doing too. So everything is super simple and fast and that you can make, you know, I mean, there's a couple more elaborate dishes, but in general, I would say the, the gravamen of them are all things that you can do in, you know, 20, 30 minutes or less. Uh, and, and, you know, even I learned things watching her in the kitchen. So your example was nut milks. Well, it seems mysterious. Like, how are you going to make, you know, something that's creamy and delicious that I can pour on my, you know, on my granola or my oatmeal or drink instead of dairy milk? Um, it's just easy to go to the store and buy it. Well, when you buy it, it's got preservatives in it. Sometimes it's got added sugar, depending upon which kind of brand you use, but it's convenient, right? So how can you match that convenience? Well, it turns out that you can literally make, you know, nut milks in your Vitamix if you have a high-powered blender of, of any variety um, in like 30 seconds. Like literally it's just water and nuts and a couple other things that, you you know, like sometimes you can put some vanilla in it, some other things that make it taste frothy and delicious. And it's remarkable actually how little time it requires. Okay. So it's not so much a, a, a time management hack and i know you're not a huge fan of uh, of life hacks well to be clear like look i'm all for economies and finding you know shortcuts to do things to free yourself up to do other things i think i get sometimes i get irked with the vernacular of it because i find it to be sort of a clickbaity kind of, yeah, <laughs> kind of sure. thing you know but uh but yeah i mean there are ways of doing things expeditiously when you know what you're doing it requires a little bit of time investment up front because you have that learning curve. But once you have that, then you're empowered to do things, you know, quickly, rapidly, efficiently. All right, good. So on that note, um, I want to talk about the, the you know, 80-20 type principle here or, or the, the low-hanging fruit mm-hmm. to use two awful cliches. Um, someone who's eating a, just a typical kind of vegetarian, vegan diet, not super healthy by any means, and when they look at your stuff, they lead through the book or any vegan cookbook, and they say, 
I'm I'm not eating at this level of energy. Like I'm I'm eating lots of foods that don't appear to be live kind of in the same way. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, just a dull plate of food. Uh, but that's kind of all I can manage. And that, that's just like what, what my norm is. Um, for someone in that situation, like where, where do you start? Is it, is it reduce oil? Is it add raw foods? I mean, what, what's the, the kind of mm-hmm. first thing you can do just to start making a, a drastic stride towards a, a higher energy diet? I think the, the, the more you can move towards eating foods closer to their natural state, the better. Uh, foods that are you know fresh, live, preferably organic, I think is a good move. I mean, I don't think that there's any super secret sauce to it, um, but I think when you know, maybe you've been going along your way and you're interested and you're kind of flirting around the edges of, of this lifestyle – um, more and more you're seeing, uh, this is like a good news, bad news thing where there's more and more vegan and vegetarian options wherever you go, whether it's the supermarket or your local restaurant. Um, and with that comes a lot of quite delicious, progressively more and more delicious, uh, you know, sort of meat analogs and cheese analogs and things that taste really good. And it's very easy to fall into this mental trap of thinking, well, it's vegetarian or it's vegan, so it's healthier than what I was eating, or it you know it tastes delicious, whether it's coconut milk ice cream or you know Eddie's vegan cookies or things like that that are great, and you're like, well, it's vegan, so it's fine. And and the truth is, like you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of you know preservatives in those foods and added sugar and and high fat content. So you know, we're all about getting getting your foods and your meals closest to their natural state. So a lot of vegetables, a lot of raw, but not entirely raw. This is certainly by no means a raw cookbook. And it's not, um, it's not extreme. You know? so, so I guess the best way to kind of address your point is to kind of take a step back and, and, and address kind of you know, the sort of marching orders that, that came with the book. I mean, when, when we sat down and thought, well, we could do a cookbook, what are we going to do? You know, we went to Barnes & Noble. We looked at all the vegan cookbooks that are out there, and there's amazing books. So you know, incredible books uh, for all different types of cuisine and done by amazing chefs with incredible pedigrees, whether they own restaurants or they work with private clients. And, and I looked at it, and I thought, well, what, you know, what are we going to bring to this discussion, to this conversation that hasn't already been said? And, and the thing that kind of stuck out to me was that I didn't see – and that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I just didn't see it. Uh, a book that really addressed the primary concerns of the typical modern American family, vegan or otherwise. Like, mm-hmm. y- you know, this is a book. I'm, I'm a proud member of the plant-based you know, vegan community, but I'm more interested in trying to connect with people who maybe aren't part of that. Maybe they have some interest and they need a little help, right? So in order to do that, I approached it from a family perspective. You know, Finding Ultra was my personal journey, but this book – it's very lifestyle heavy. There's a lot of lifestyle photography. And we try to show that this is not only a super healthy way to live, but it's aspirational and it's cool and it's modern and it's accessible to you. So all the recipes are very family friendly. They're things that your kids are going to eat and they're hearty. They're things you can serve at Thanksgiving dinner that no one's going to blink an eye at. You know, things like mashed potatoes and enchiladas and things that people enjoy eating and are used to eating just with a healthier spin. So the book is never saying you must eat this way or you must be vegetarian or vegan. It's just like, how about just adding more delicious, more nutritious foods onto your plate? And that's all we're asking. We're saying take our hand, take a step in here. The water's warm. And, and then allowing people to have their own journey through that. 
Good. And, and going back to the previous question about time, uh, you mentioned eating foods closer to their natural state. That generally means taking less time to prepare them. I mean, sure. there's, of course, there's the convenient aspect. You could go to a store and buy prepared foods. But when you're talking about doing it yourself, it doesn't take any effort at all or any time to grab an apple or a handful of nuts. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. To, to add it to a plate. Like if you're eating otherwise sort of dead foods, it doesn't take much effort to add a, a head of romaine lettuce to that and mm-hmm. just eat it. So mm-hmm. um, on, on that note, how about just a general food philosophy? I mean, obviously uh, some extreme athletic accomplishments puts you on the map. Um, but either for that, and I do want to get into just kind of how it shifts when you're training later, but uh, do you follow like a certain macronutrient, fat, protein, carbs mix? I'm guessing that that's not really your speed and that it's mm-hmm. more of a, uh, you know, get, put the live foods, put the green stuff on the plate first and then fill in the gaps. But is there a general food philosophy that, that sort of is an analog to that, to the macronutrient numbers that people are looking for. Right. That's interesting. Uh, you know, we talked about that a little bit during the panel that we did uh, yesterday here in Marshall, and somebody asked about the four to one, you know, ratio of carbs to protein. And what do you think of that? And, you know, my answer to that is always, um, I don't get too caught up in that kind of stuff. Like, I think you can spin your wheels and, and overthink and over philosophize everything and, and, and turn your kitchen into some kind of crazy laboratory. But, you know, it goes back to what I was saying before, like life is in session and I'm busy. And, and I know that if I start to, you know, pursue that way of eating and thinking that it's probably not going to be too sustainable. Um, so I'm always interested in trying to find practices that I don't have to overthink that I can just live with and almost become second nature. So to me, I feel like if I'm eating um, a preponderance of, you know, fresh, healthy, vegetables prepared close to their natural state, if not altogether raw, and, you know, fruits and and nuts and seeds and all these sorts of things, that nature really kind of takes care of that for me. You know, the science seems to vacillate. You know, one one month it's four to one, the next month it's something else. But I know that when I'm just, when I'm sort of, you know, eating according to kind of nature's rules, that that kind of stuff seems to take care of itself. And I would say the caveat to that is, and this is also something we talked about on the panel, is the distinction between um, eating uh, for a short-term performance goal versus sort of eating for optimal health and longevity. And, and, and th- within that, you can find differences that you know, are specific to whatever athletic goal that you have, I think. Right. Yeah, my answer to the to the question about the ratios thing was that I I used to do that too, and then I had kids, and it just kind of went right. Into it. Exactly, I mean, you just you know? it doesn't fit into a regular lifestyle. Right. If you're if you're living in a cabin in the woods and you're training for Ironman, and that's that's what you're doing, then maybe you have the bandwidth to address that and go deeper into that, and and that's fine, and that's great. Um, but I don't think you know everybody has that approach, uh, and so it's about like. It's about, you know, it, it goes back to this very simple concept of lifestyle versus diet. Like it's about changing your lifestyle. It's about, it's about adopting new habits with staying power versus a short-term thing that, you know, you're going to burn out on. All right, cool. And so, so, I mean, I guess to sum up your philosophy, it just sounds like it's eat, eat whole foods, a lot of them raw, all of them plants. I mean, that is that, that's it, right? Yeah, that's my biohack. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good one. All right, so... I know this yesterday. I heard you answered this yesterday, so I know the answer. But um, for someone wondering, how does that shift when you're going into some sort of extreme training period, or even just training for uh, you know your fastest marathon or something mm-hmm. not not Ultraman, but a, a normal person's endurance event? Yeah. Um, how do you shift it? I mean, 
it's nothing too elaborate. Um, I think when you're placing higher demands on your body, whether you're a bodybuilder in the gym or you're training for, for an Ironman, um, you're going to have to increase your caloric intake. So how are you going to do that and do it in a healthy way? Um, you know, y- you can increase the volume of vegetables that you're eating, but if you look at volumetrics, you're going to have to eat a tremendous amount of that, right? So I tend to increase um, my starchy carbohydrates when I'm training very hard, and I'll, up, I'll increase my protein intake a little bit, not too much. I don't get caught up into the protein myth and overdo it on protein, um, but really it just becomes increased calories. And you know, when I'm eating for long-term health and longevity, you know, I try to keep my oils down to a bare minimum, if not oil-free completely. Uh, when I'm training harder, that becomes less important. You know, nut butters I'll eat. Um, I'll use some coconut oil or, you know, maybe a little bit of coconut oil in my morning smoothie. I'll do more Vitamix smoothies, which tend to be um, not just super nutrient-dense, but also more calorically dense, depending upon what you put, put in them. I'm glad you mentioned oil because uh, that's that's something I was going to ask you about. Uh, it's it's certainly becoming the rage it seems to to give up oil in in this. I mean, I guess the, someone on the street is not going to say this is the rage. <laughs> yeah, What's the I rage? Uh, it's giving up oil. Uh, no, but in in this world that that we live in, uh, it's it seems that everyone's everyone's going that way. And the, the doctors who know a lot of them are saying cut the oil. It's not a whole food. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've personally just started that myself, just very recently, kind of tried to not have it. And I'm not not saying I can't ever have it, but just in general at home, not use it very much. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is the argument for that? I mean, someone who, who's said, man, I went vegetarian, then I went vegan, and now I got to do this too. What's the compelling reason to, to cut the oil when you're talking about longevity and general health? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, it's funny you say like cutting the oil is all the rage because sort of in the paleo community, it's quite the opposite. Right. It's all about sure. like, you know, eating tons of coconut oil and finding the best olive oil. And, you know, I'm not a research scientist. Um, I do, you know, I do, I do sort of find myself compelled by the arguments of, you know, the forefathers of our movement, whether it's T. Colin Campbell or Dr. Esselstyn and, and the kind of, you know, people that are now taking up that mantle and running with it, like Dr. Robert Osfeld and Dr. Garth Davis and Joel Kahn. And, you know, there's a whole number of them out there. And, and, and they basically are saying the same thing, which is, you know, oil is very calorically dense, but it's very nutrient deficient, right? So in terms of weight loss, it takes up very little room in your stomach. It doesn't trigger those receptors in your brain that tell you you're full. It's very easy to overdo it and overeat it. Um, and with, when you really look at the work of Dr. Esselstyn specifically, you know, the results that he got when you see those before and after angiograms of reversing heart disease only happen when you cut the oil out. You get rid of the oil and you eat like a pretty restrictive, um, not, I don't know if it's, it's not really no fat, but pretty close to no fat diet. Uh, and I think that that protocol works extremely well with people that A, either want to lose weight or are in poor health, particularly cardiac health, and they're looking to prevent a heart attack or, or reverse the progression of heart disease, for sure. Uh, and so I think that that's important for people to understand and to know. Um, I would not say that I'm a no-oil person. Um, I do do a little bit of coconut oil, a little bit of olive oil, and that's kind of like the final frontier for me to start looking at that and reducing it. And in our cookbook, we have we use oils in, in certain recipes, but we also have oil-free options for the people that, that want to go 
that route. Um, but as far as the, the science is concerned, uh, you know, there's conflicting stuff out there. You know, it's like you look at uh, the blue zones and the Mediterranean diet and sort of how they right. eat olive oil and, and what does that mean? And, the, and there's certain people that would say, you know, coconut oil is this health panacea. I'm not really swayed by that, um, but there are some indications that maybe it has some, I don't know, you know, anti-inflammatory properties or that it's good for the brain. Uh, so I think that, you know, my general rule of thumb is to use it sparingly. Um, sometimes I rationalize it, you know, when I'm training really hard, <laughs> you know, it's like, yep. you know, I need a little oil or, or, or whatever. And I think that, that I think it's important for people to understand that this is a journey that we're taking and it's not about trying to be plant perfect, especially from the get go. Uh, I encourage people to, um, not wait until they have it all figured out to begin, but just to begin, you know, start incorporating, more healthy foods onto their plate and focus more on that than what they're removing. So it's not this deprivation perspective. And then as you start to feel better, then you become more empowered to try new things and the road sort of gets narrower. So the diet that I eat today is different than the diet that I was eating in 2008. It continues to evolve and, and, and get better and better. And I'm hardly perfect at it. Um, but, uh, but it's a journey, you know, and, and I try to educate myself as much as I can about all the science that's out there. But I'm busy too. I don't have time to to watch every single video that Dr. Michael Greger puts out, mm-hmm. you know. So we do the best that we can. Good. Yeah, that's that's very similar to my own approach and my own reservations about giving and my own rationalizations really about mm-hmm. about giving up oil. Um, what what had kind of got me was besides Campbell and Esselstyn hearing them over and over just say that it's that it's not a health food. Um, was Chef AJ with the with the caloric density talk, and she goes mm-hmm. to this list of all these foods that have I don't remember the exact metric, but I think it was calories per pound and, and you know, it was at the very, very low end was the vegetables, and there were some other foods that were in the in the hundreds. And then it goes through all these other ones, nuts and chocolate and all these bad foods. And then finally at the very end is oil coming in at 4,000 calories per pound. And, like, fi- when I saw that, I was like, okay, so maybe that two tablespoons that I'm putting in this meal actually does, you know, kind of make a difference. Like, that's that's a, mm-hmm. a weird thing to be adding into everything else. So that, that's been my little bit of inspiration for, for trying to, to just give it up. And I've noticed, I've been surprised that uh, – the food doesn't taste that different. I, I, mm-hmm. I have this hang-up that, like, if I saute in water before I start the meal uh, with, you know, the onions and the peppers and whatever, that it's just not going to have that depth of flavor that if you do the oil. But, you know, I don't really notice. It's, I it's think you acclimate different. to it. It's the same thing when, you know, you go from putting sweet and low in your coffee every morning to suddenly realizing that's probably not a good idea and then acclimating to drinking it without that. And, and you go through an adjustment period. And then six months later, you don't even think about it. Yeah, and then if you if you accidentally get the sweet and low in your coffee, it tastes like this terrible fake right. thing. That happened yeah, to me yeah, with, yeah. with protein powder back in the day. Was when I went vegetarian, I I gave up uh, whatever I don't know whey something protein I was eating, and it, and it had this artificial sweetener in it that I'd never tasted. I just thought that was the vanilla taste of the protein powder. Mm-hmm. And then at, at some point, I ate it again, and it was just it, I mean it was undrinkable. It was really weird that how your how your taste buds acclimate. And, and mm-hmm. people say that all the time. It's hard I know to believe if you haven't been through it. But uh, on that note, protein powder. Supplements. People mm-hmm. want to know that for sure. Um, they want to know what Ritual takes your supplements, if, right, so, right. if any. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's been a, that's been an evolution as well. And that's another thing we talked about on the panel. Uh, you know, when I began this journey, um, I had been experiencing tremendous um, success and progress eating plant based. I lost a lot of weight really quickly. I was getting fit really quickly. My body was responding super positively. 
Um, but I had yet to be fully educated. Like I was going on feel and experience and, and I had this nagging doubt in my mind, despite the results that I was getting that, you know, maybe I am deficient. I mean, when, when people all day long are asking you, where do you get your protein and you're going to be nutrient deficient, like no matter how many books you read or how good you feel, I think it's very difficult to, to really put that doubt out of your mind completely. And I think that's another important thing for people that are, you know, kind of walking this path or entering this world is to understand that it's okay to have that doubt. You know, like that's a human trait, right? Like, well, I feel good. And, you know, all these guys at No Meat Athlete are telling me it's awesome. But like most of my friends are saying, you know, (laughs) you're not doing the right thing. So I had some of that, um, you know, kind of a little tickle in the back of my brain. And and to compensate for that, I filled my cupboard with all kinds of supplements, you know, joint health and protein powders and glutamine and all kinds of stuff. And I was just packing my Vitamix blender with all kinds of powders all the time. And then I reached a certain point, you know, a little while into it where I started to question whether this was a wise expenditure of all my money. <laughs> and I started experimenting with weaning myself off of, of a lot of them and noticed that I think like you had commented as well that – I didn't feel that different. Now, this is not a double-blind study, and I wasn't going and getting blood work done all the time. I wasn't biohacking it you know, as, as comprehensively as I probably could, but it didn't seem to make that much of a difference. Um, so now I would say that my supplementation routine is far reduced. It's relatively minimal compared to what it used to be. Uh, but I would say that I think that supplementation does have its place. And By that, I mean that whether you're vegan or vegetarian or otherwise, maybe you're just eating the typical American diet, I think it's easier to be deficient in certain minerals and vitamins than it used to be, partially because our soils are more progressively depleted than they used to be. So the foods that we're eating, even if we're eating plant-based, are not as nutrient-dense as maybe they were 20, 30 years ago, especially if you're eating, uh, you know, produce that's factory farmed and used with, that's not organic, et cetera. Um, so it's pretty common for people, even people that live in, in relatively mild climates to be vitamin D deficient. You see that a lot, which is, you know, if you're out running out in the sun all the time, it's probably not an issue, but for people that live in Northern climates or don't go outside that much, you see that that's quite common. Of course, vitamin B12 is essential. Uh, it's often used as an argument to not go vegan. Like, right. how could this be a good diet if you have to supplement with vitamin B12? But the truth is, vitamin B12, it comes from microbes in the soil, right? And we get it through animal products because they're grazing on the ground all day long, and so they store it. Um, but in truth, it used to be that you you could get vitamin B12 from eating plant-based. But like I just said, the soil is 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 more depleted than it used to be, and they wash everything and all that kind of stuff. So what used to be in the plants isn't there anymore, and that's why we supplement. So I make sure that I do that every day, and I do protein supplements. Um, but I do them – I would say that my use of them is occasional as opposed to mandatory and daily. Like I don't wake up in the morning and, and say, I, you know, before I even leave the house, I must have a protein shake. Like I don't function that way. And quite often even post-workout, I don't use it if I know I'm eating really well that day. I think when I'm placing tremendous demands on my body, when I'm in a very focused training regimen – where uh, caloric intake becomes more important, then I think that they're appropriate and they have their place and they're effective. Um, And, you know, if you're having joint problems or if you're having certain, you know, issues, I think that there are certain supplements that you can take that can expedite your recovery, help your body heal. 
um, you know, I encourage everybody to get their blood work done and, and look at, you know, where they might be lacking and supplementation when you're using the right ones, because it's, you know, because it's, because the supplementation world is, is rife with charlatans and, and it's not, uh, you know, sort of monitored by the FDA. It's pretty easy to purchase supplements that are really not that pure or, or are not bioavailable when you take them. Mm-hmm. So it's incumbent upon everybody to make sure that you're getting high quality product, um, and I think that they're appropriate. You know, I think they're appropriate. So I'm not somebody who's going to just say, oh, forget, you know, just Whole Foods, everything, especially for people that are active and athletes. Yeah, I like I like that approach. And it's, it's very similar to mine with, with the protein thing, especially. It's just like, I mean, I, I don't take it anymore. And I found that I just don't need it. But I'm not against it as a convenience food. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you're if you haven't if you're traveling a lot or if you have a couple of days where you're just not eating your normal stuff, and you're not getting your your beans in. I mean. It, or if you're super busy and you just – it's the the best you can do is to take a, a, a Vegas shake or whatever. Right. If you're in Marshall, Texas and it's 11 o'clock at night and Pizza Hut's the only option, you know, if you have a couple packets of Vega 1 and you know you're going to meet your nutrients by, you know, shaking that up in a thermos with just some water if that's all you have, um, then I think that that's, you know, prudent yeah. before going down to the Applebee's. Going back to what you said about uh, that – those doubts in the back of your head. Uh, and I've had them too. I mean, not not so much recently, but in the old days when I would read a, a paleo article online or something, and and don't really believe it. But then after you do, that that seed is planted that like there's something really wrong with this diet, and it's it's not mm-hmm. not giving you what you need. Um, you mentioned in, in your keynote at this event that that there was a certain moment when that all stopped for you. When, when I think it was it was at at the end of uh, some maybe the Ultraman or the Epic, Epic Five. Um, that there was a moment. Can you talk about what that actual moment was? Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, I don't know if it was a like some like an epiphany where angels were descending down onto my mind, but <laughs> you know, certainly after uh, Ultraman in two thousand nine, you know, I'd put any doubts to rest. Like I, you know, even though I crashed and had some difficulties in that race, my body was performing at a, at a at a level that I didn't think that I was previously. I would not have thought I was capable of. So that really arrested any doubt whatsoever about what I was doing. Like I was just as fit as I could possibly be. And I was, and I was just killing it. So, you know, I think it's, everybody has their own version of that. It doesn't have to be super extreme. Um, but that definitely arrested any kind of questions I had about the, you know, the validity, uh, of this diet for athletic performance. Gotcha. All right. One more question about food before we'll, uh, shift gears here and get into some other training type stuff. Mm -hmm. But, uh, the cost. I mean, that's the the huge objection that everybody has, other than time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when you're yeah, you can eat vegan cheaply if all you do is go buy beans and grains from the bulk section, and and that's and, and you know you'll be fine. You'll you'll mm-hmm. live. Um, but when you leave through a book like yours or, or just so many others, there's lots of stuff that that let's face it is not cheap. Um, do you have ways of keeping costs down, or is it something where you just say this is an investment that I'm that I'm happy to make, and that that's what we do. We say like yes, we could probably save. Five hundred or a thousand dollars a month if we just ate, you know, bulk food vegan and didn't, right. didn't do the other stuff. Um, but it's worth it. I mean, that's it's just, even in the short term, the energy and, and how great I feel. I think it's that's a, a reasonable way to spend your money. But what's your take on that? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, I think that you know, look at at Costco and at Walmart. Even now, you're able to buy uh, you know more and more items in bulk, and they have more and more. Uh, organic items um and they're priced 
more affordably. You know, the, the joke is always, you know, Whole Foods, Whole Paycheck. And certainly if you're doing all your shopping at Whole Foods, that, that is not a, a, you know, that's, that's not possible on most people's budgets. It's very difficult. Um, so what we try to do is we do buy certain items in bulk, like, you know, rice and beans. We can go to like this, it's called Vallarta. It's a market like that's deep in the valley. Uh, you know, it's in an under, you know, an underprivileged neighborhood and everything is super cheap. Like I did an experiment. I went to Whole Foods and I bought two blueprint juices that were like 12 bucks each for like 12 ounces. And I'm like, all right, that's 24 bucks. Then I went to Vallarta and I said, how much, I wonder how much food I could buy here at Vallarta for under $24. And I filled an entire shopping cart with produce, you know, it was insane. So there are ways of doing it. Um, I think that you, you have to get out of that mindset that the only way of eating healthy is to go to whole foods. And, you know, a big part of my message is that wellness should not be an elitist ideal. This should be something that's accessible and available to everybody. Um, so if you can't afford organic, it's still better to buy conventionally grown produce than to not eat produce. Right. There are ways of doing that, you know, cheaply at your local market. You can find co-ops uh, and work with local farmers going to going to uh, your local farmer's market if you have one of those in your area. And there are ways of doing deals with some of these farmers who really want customers where you can kind of cut rates for becoming a long-term customer. And then I think... It's getting out of the mindset that that being healthy or eating plant-based means that you need to invest in all kinds of crazy superfoods because that's where I think the price starts to go up when you start buying spirulina and all kinds of that kind of, you know, so-called superfoods. Um, and uh, I think they're great and I use them, but I, I look at them as like the cherry on top of the mm-hmm. sundae. Like clean up, you know, just get basic first. I mean, if you're creating a dish for a family of four and you're using quinoa or brown rice and beans as a base as we do quite often that's pretty affordable you know pretty much anybody can afford a bag of beans and a bag of rice and then what you do on top of that with you know with fresh vegetables and all of that i mean you could prepare a pretty big meal that will feed a lot of people for literally pennies on the dollar so you know, and the book has plenty of options in there for, you know, there's some more elaborate stuff with a couple items that are a little bit gourmet, but certainly nothing's precious and everything is, you know, for the most part is stuff that you can get wherever you live. Great. I love that. See what I did there, Doug? I said roll the interview at the end before we went to it. <laughs> Oh, that was pretty you good. Didn't, you didn't like roll. burst out laughing or anything, so I, <laughs> I, I was thinking maybe you didn't hear me. You know, there's been several comments about um, in the reviews in iTunes about my laugh, and oh yeah, not not always good ones, but mostly good ones. Oh, okay, and but people people like it when you make me laugh. I think. Oh, okay, good. So, so I should like sit on drug. your side of the table. I could poke your belly or something <laughs> every now and then. <laughs> yeah. Oh geez, all right, all right, good. So anyway. That's the first half of our interview with Rich, uh, focusing mostly on diet there. Next time, in the very next episode, so subscribe to the podcast if you're not yet subscribed so that you get that, uh, we'll talk more about the training aspect of things. Because he said some really cool things in Finding Ultra, or I should say, we didn't know if they were cool, but they were exciting. <laughs> that you could tra- What he did was basically train uh, at a very low intensity, which he calls Zone 2 Training. And he talked, you know, gave some detail in Finding Ultra, but everybody kind of wanted to know, like, how exactly they could apply this method to their own training. Because uh, sure sounds like fun that you don't have to really go very fast, and and then you get fast, and you can run (laughs) a long way. So uh, we talk a lot about that in the next half of this this interview, which will be out in our next episode. 
Uh, before we sign off, though, I did want to talk a little bit about Nomad Athlete Academy because we are in the process of uh, relaunching that, as I said. Oh, and before I do that, one more reminder about Rich's book. It's richroll.com slash the-plantpower-way uh, or just go to richroll.com and you can see the instructions for how to pre-order it uh, before it comes out April 28th. All right, so Nomad Athlete Academy. Um, we've said it a few times in the past couple episodes of what it's about and what's going on and that it's a, our, our premium program where we bring in guests, go really deep into topics, a little bit different from what we do with the podcast here. Um, y- you can tell from the past episodes we've had. You know, A lot of the, the guests are people who we have on the podcast sometimes, but the Academy Seminars, the, the vibe and the feel is way different. It's more about really diving into the information. And one of the ways that we chose the guests for this first year was when we started the Academy, we launched or sorry did a survey for the for the current audience of which at the time i don't know it was it was forty thousand people or something and got back a ton of ton of responses about what were the biggest frustrations people had because that's what it was we, we figured each month we'll address one of these frustrations and just kind of knock them off um didn't quite work out quite so cleanly as that that like every every one covered exactly one of these frustrations but i did just want to run down some of the list and and kind of uh show how we've addressed it just so you can get a little bit of feel for what is inside the academy currently so that uh, if you decide to join which will be next week we'll be having the exact details about how you can do that um all this all this content is available in there now so uh we had let's see not enough time was the very first frustration people had and if you listened to our episode last week you heard jeff sanders who is my accountability partner uh he's the does the podcast the 5 a.m miracle and there we basically talked about how do you create time for yourself? How do you get up early? How do you uh, find find the time in your day that's you know to work on your passion, whatever that is? Next frustration was not understanding what you should eat and how to count the calories. Uh, you've heard from Sid Garza-Hillman and Heather Crosby, who both talked about that topic. Sid kind of blew that out of the water, the idea that you even should be counting calories. Right. Um, and then Heather Heather talked a lot about different foods. We asked her a lot about some controversial foods. Um, particularly things like oil and gluten and things like that, and just got different stances on that. That went into another topic, uh, conflicting unreliable information about diet people have. Don't know who to trust, don't know how to uh, make decisions when it comes to their health. And uh, like we said last time, there are differences of opinion even among the Academy guests, but uh, we kind of really try to dive into stuff and, and just, I don't know, let you get, rather than just reading skimming an article that says you shouldn't eat soy or that you should eat soy, um, listening to someone talk for 45 minutes or an hour and kind of really understanding where they're coming from so that so that maybe at the end maybe you still don't know what the answer is but at least you've heard uh two decent arguments for either mm-hmm. side of something like that mm-hmm. all right other ones um trouble with habits consistency motivation those have definitely big, been big themes in the academy um i've done two solo ones one of them about goals one of them about creating habits uh so those were each an hour of me talking which uh I don't know if it's that appealing, but I guess I guess maybe people want to hear that. <laughs> I think people liked it. Yeah. <laughs> Good. And uh, we had Nicole Antoinette, who is he, she was a podcast guest earlier last, I guess last year, talking about running across the country, which was a goal of hers, and I think it's kind of now a back burner goal, but something she's still working on. Um, talked a lot about that sort of thing with her. Uh, workout specific nutrition was another one. You heard the Mike Arnstein clip that was just twenty minutes out of an hour long. We had Matt Rosigno, who was the co-author of my book, also a vegan RD, talked a lot about that stuff. Uh, no variety in their diet. 
pretty much all the episodes we've touched on diet in some way or another. Yeah. So there's there's plenty of chances to get variety there. Uh, injuries. We had Jason Fitzgerald from Strength Running on. Um, what else? Excuses. Loneliness. I mean, there, I, it, there's, there's, I'm, I've listed probably eight of the topics, and there's a list of 25. So I'm not going to go into all of them. Um, but just wanted to kind of make people aware that there are the the 12 or I think 13 now uh, seminars in there, an hour long each, plus Q and A sessions, as we mentioned with Rich. All that stuff's available in there now. Um, so anyway, it's not something that's, that's kind of available yet. We're not trying to get you to go over there and, and sign up or anything. Um, but we will have some of that information next week. So just to kind of give you a little bit more of a of a tour of it and start to familiarize you with what's what's going on at the No Meat Athlete Academy. Yeah, I think all those topics really come back to the main overarching theme of the No Meat, no Meat Athlete Academy, which is to become your best self. So we, you know, all of those questions and all of those struggles were um were brought back when we brought on the guests to really kind of help you become your best self yeah and and we like a lot of that was about diet but as you heard it's not all about that like one, right. jeff is about not, not having enough time uh mm-hmm. so it's it's really just about all aspects of kind of self-improvement which is something that i'm super into so diet fitness goals motivation habits all that stuff all all fair game in the academy and and like you mentioned it's not we're not pitching this to, to be on sale right at the moment but if you do want to be Call, stay in touch and, and know when everything is launched. You can head on over to nomadeathlete.com slash info and enter your email address there and we'll uh, we'll get you all set up when the time comes. All right. I think we've gone on long enough. We'll uh, sign off here and be back in a few days with Rich's part two. We'll roll with it. There you go. <laughs> I like it. All right. Bye, everyone.